morning. Your printed version and what I'm reading is from the message. A woman who had suffered a condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years, a long succession of physicians had treated her and treated her badly, taking all of her money and leaving her worse off than before. She'd heard about Jesus. She slipped in from behind and touched his robe. She was thinking to herself, if I can put a finger on his robe, I can get well. The moment she did it, the flow of blood dried up. She could feel the change, knew her plague was over and done with. At the same moment, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said, What are you talking about? With this crowd pushing and jostling you, you're asking who touched me? Dozens have touched you. But he went on asking, looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, knowing she was the one, stepped up in fear and trembling, knelt before him and gave him the whole story. Jesus said to her, Daughter, you took a risk of faith. Now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed, be healed of your plague. The word of God for the people of God. So this morning I want to tell you the story of one of the most unlikely breakthrough moments in medical science history. The story I want to tell you this morning takes place in San Francisco. Uh, back in the 1950s, a, a couple of young cardiologists named Friedman and Rosenberg had opened a practice in San Francisco, and business was booming. They had plenty of, of patients. Things were going really well for these two young cardiologists. There was just one dark cloud in their blue skies. These doctors, Friedman and Rosenberg, were having to spend a fortune every month reupholstering the chairs in their waiting room. Every month they had to have an upholsterer come in and recover all of the chairs in their, in their waiting room. It was costing them a, a boatload of money. But Friedman and Rosenberg figured, well, that's just the cost of doing business. They had more important things to worry about than the chairs in the waiting room. And so they didn't give the chairs in their waiting room too much thought until one day, one month, when their regular upholsterer called in sick. And so they had to call in a backup upholsterer. And this backup reupholsterer came to their office. He walked through the door. He came into their waiting room. He looked at the chairs in their waiting room. And this is the moment when one of the most unlikely breakthroughs in all of medical science history took place. This backup reupholsterer looked at the chairs in Friedman and Rosenberg's waiting room. And he said to Friedman and Rosenberg, What is wrong with your patients? And Friedman and Rosenberg said, well, what do you mean, what is wrong with your patients? And then the upholsterer said, come here and look at this. Look at these chairs. He said, this is not the way that normal people wear out chairs. He said, usually when I go to reupholster people's chairs, the, the back of the seat cushion is all worn down where people rest their rear end. He said, but look at the cushions on your chairs. He said, the front of the seat cushion is all worn down to the wood and the back is hardly broken in. He said, it's as if your patients are 
sitting on the very edge of their chairs. He said, and look at the arms of the chairs. Usually the arms of the chairs wear out in the, the places where you rest your elbows, but the arms of your chairs are shredded to pieces at the very end of the arms. It's as if your patients have been digging their fingernails into the upholstery while they're waiting to get in to see the doctor. He said, this is not the way that normal people sit in chairs. He said, something is seriously wrong with your patients that's making them sit and wear out these chairs in this way. Well, that got Friedman and Rosenberg to thinking. They started to wondering if maybe maybe this backup upholsterer was onto something. They wondered if maybe maybe there was something about their patients, if there was something about their, their lifestyles, something about their personalities, something about their mindsets and their, their attitudes that caused them to sit in chairs in a peculiar way and also caused them to be the kind of people who were likely to need a cardiologist. And so they started doing something that they never done before. They started spending time talking with their patients, trying to learn about their lives, trying to learn about who they were as people. For years, they started giving surveys to their, to their patients. They asked them questions like, are, are you the kind of person who honks your horn a lot when you're stuck in traffic? And, and they asked them, are you the kind of person who gets really angry when you pick the wrong aisle at the, at the grocery store? They asked them, are, are you the kind of person who feels guilty when you relax? and do nothing in your time off. And over the years, as they talked to their patients and accumulated all of this data, they started to see a trend developing. They started to discover that, in fact, they, they were seeing a certain personality type walk through the doors of their office day after day after day. They discovered that many of their patients shared a few uh, common traits. And one of the things they learned about their patients was that their cardiology patients tended to be really hostile and angry people people, the kind of people who would yell at a sales clerk or a waitress in a restaurant. They discovered that, that their patients tended to be hyper-competitive people, the kind of people who focused on their work to the point where they excluded everything else in their lives. They discovered that their, pa- their patients tended to be impatient people who were always in a hurry, the kind of people who sit on the edge of the seat in the doctor's waiting room and are constantly standing up to ask the receptionist, do you think that the doctor is going to be much longer? How much do, time do you think this is going to take. They discovered that, in fact, there was a certain personality type that was likely to have high blood pressure, likely to have heart disease, likely to have high cholesterol. Over the years, as they studied these these patients, they even came up with a a name for this personality type. They started calling these people people with type A personalities. Have you heard the expression type A personality? Friedman and Rosenberg and their upholsterer came up with with that term, type A personality. Well, after years, Years of studying their patients, finally Friedman and Rosenberg said, you know what, we need to share this information with the world. We need to tell other cardiologists about what we've learned. We need to tell them that, that they need to start talking to their patients, finding out if there's, there's things that they can do to change their lifestyle, to change their mindset that will also help to improve their heart and their cardiovascular health. And so Friedman and Rosenberg published all of their data and they shared, shared this information with the world and what they discovered was that the world did not care. The world didn't want to know. Other cardiologists, in fact, got angry when Friedman and Rosenberg shared this information with them. Other cardiologists said, you want us to do what? 
You want us to talk to our patients? We haven't got time for that. They said, we're cardiologists, not psychologists. We fix the plumbing, not the brain. They said, you're crazy if you think we've got the time to dig into our patients' lives. All of their problems are caused by diet and exercise. The brain doesn't have anything, anything at all to do to it. Friedman and Rosenberg discovered that the world was not ready. Doctors were not ready. Science was not ready to ask the question, are there negative mindsets, negative attitudes, negative personality traits that can also lead to negative effects and even sickness in our physical health. The world science was not ready to ask that question. And if science was not ready to ask that question, then they definitely weren't ready to ask the obvious follow-up question. If there are negative mindsets and negative attitudes that can lead to sickness in our bodies, then is it possible that there are positive mindsets, there are positive attitudes, that compassion and generosity and spirituality and faith and belief can cause healing and health to happen in our bodies. Science wasn't ready to ask that question back in the 1950s. Of course, followers of Jesus have been wrestling with that question for, for almost 2,000 years now, right? When we read the Bible, we find that there are stories upon stories of these miraculous healings, stories after story that, that raise the possibility that there is a powerful link between what happens in our mind and what happens in our body, what happens in our spirit and our physical health. We have one of those stories in this morning's gospel reading. In today's reading, a, a woman stands in a crowded street, and this woman, she, she's keeping her head down. She's hoping that nobody sees her. She's hoping nobody recognizes her. This is a woman who doesn't go out in public very often. This is a woman who mostly keeps to herself in her own home. For 12 years now, this woman has suffered from a, a mysterious illness. For 12 years, she's been suffering from this, this bleeding disease. And of course, this is the kind of disease that makes other people really nervous. This is the kind of disease that makes other people scared. And so when this woman would go out into the streets, other people would see her coming and they would cross to the other side of the street to avoid her. When people recognized her outside of her home, they would hiss and they would spit and they would tell her to go back inside to stop putting the whole community at risk just by being in public out in the streets. This woman has spent in the last 12 12 years, a, a fortune going to doctor after doctor looking for somebody who can help her, looking for some kind of a cure. No one, no one has been able to help this woman. And now she is holding on to the very last piece of hope in her heart. She has heard about a man named Jesus. She has heard that there is a man named Jesus who can heal all sorts of sickness. She has heard that Jesus is the kind of person who embraces people who nobody, nobody else will embrace. And she has heard that Jesus is going to pass through her town. So this woman goes out into the streets. She puts a sort of a hood over her face and she stands by the side of the road waiting for Jesus to pass by. If I can just get close to Jesus, she says, if I can just touch him, even the hem of his garment, maybe then God will give me my healing. And so this this woman waits there in the side of the road, and then suddenly there's a, a great noise. Jesus is coming down the street, and he is surrounded by his disciples and a great crowd of people. And as Jesus passes by, people start to press in towards Jesus. People try to get close to Jesus. People shout, Jesus, over here. Jesus, look at me. The sound is, is overwhelming. And this woman does the only thing she can do. 
She throws herself into that crowd, and she begins squirming and twisting and pushing her way, trying to get close to Jesus. And somehow, against all odds, she gets close enough that finally she's able to to snake a hand in between a couple of bodies, and she is able to just brush a fingertip against the hem of Jesus' robe. And when she touches the edge of Jesus' garment, suddenly this woman feels a surge of some sort of energy pass through her body as if she has been struck by lightning. For just a moment, the entire world world fades away and this woman's feet are are nailed to the spot. And as the world comes back, the woman realizes that there's a, a sort of commotion happening in the road. The crowd has stopped moving because Jesus has stopped moving. Jesus is shouting over the noise of the crowd to his disciples, somebody touched me. Who touched me? Find the person who touched me. And the disciples are looking at Jesus like he's crazy. They're saying, Jesus, look at this crowd. There's a thousand people reaching out right now trying to touch you. How are we supposed to find one person in all of this? You're not making any sense. But Jesus says, I know somebody just touched me. I felt power flowing from me. Who is it? Where is the person who touched me? The woman realizes that Jesus is talking about her. And she realizes that she's not going to be able to hide anymore. And so the woman speaks up, but quietly at first she says, it was me, I was the one. And then loudly she says, I was the one who touched you, Jesus. And the crowd quiets down. And people step back and they clear a sort of space for this woman and and Jesus. And then this woman, she falls at the feet of Jesus. And she begins to tremble as she tells him her story. She pours out all 12 years of frustration and misery and going to the doctors and suffering and sickness and fear. She, She tells Jesus her story. And then Jesus, when the woman is finished, he reaches down, he picks her up, he says to her, and listen to what Jesus says. He doesn't say, daughter, I have made you well. He doesn't say, daughter, my power has made you well. He doesn't say, daughter, God has made you well. What does Jesus say in that moment? Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your sickness. Back in the 1950s, science was not ready to ask the question, is it possible that your faith can make you well? When people put healing and faith together in the same sentence, that made scientists and doctors really nervous, right? It conjured up images of of these these shysters, these charlatans, these frauds who travel around in sequined gowns and and have great big poofy hairstyles and and take all of the money they can get out of one community and then they move on to to the next community. This, This idea of healing and faith being connected made scientists incredibly nervous and so they weren't ready to even ask the question until finally in the 1990s researchers started discovering things that made even the most reluctant of scientists sit up and pay attention. Now, one of the the researchers who started to make these these discoveries and breakthroughs back in the 1990s was a, a woman, a doctor named Gail Ironson. And back in the 1990s, the early 90s, Gail Ironson was studying HIV patients. And maybe you remember that back in the early 1990s, HIV was this, this mysterious illness that nobody really understood. It carried this incredible stigma and, and fear. People were dying by the thousands from, from HIV and AIDS. If somebody's HIV turned into AIDS, their life expectancy was a year and a half at the most. There were no effective treatments. There was no effective pill. And so researchers back in the early 1990s, 90s were were scrambling to try to find anything that they could about this disease. One of those researchers was Gail Ironson. She was studying HIV patients. And as she studied these thousands and thousands of of HIV patients, she discovered something remarkable. She discovered that there was a small group of HIV patients who just never seemed to get sick. 
While other patients were dying all around them, these patients kept on going. They were strong and healthy six years, seven years, eight years after they had been infected. They were living completely normal lives. It was as if they weren't sick at all. And Gail Ironson decided that she was going to study these remarkable patients and see if there was something that they had in common, if there was something that could explain why they were thriving while other people were dying all around them. And so she started interviewing these patients. And as she traveled around the country and she she interviewed these patients, she kept having the same conversation over and over again. She would ask these patients, why do you think you're so healthy? Why do you think you've been able to stay so strong? And over and over again, these patients would say to her, well, I think it's my relationship with God that keeps me strong. I'm a very spiritual person, and I believe, I believe that helps. She had this conversation so many times that finally Gail Ironson couldn't ignore the faith factor anymore. She decided that she was going to try and see if she could scientifically connect these patients' faith and their ability to remain healthy when so many other people could not. And so here's what she did. She started surveying thousands of HIV patients all around the country, and then she asked them questions about their faith. She asked them questions about their beliefs, their attitudes about God, and then she compared those surveys and studies. She compared that data to information about the health of these patients' immune systems. Now, maybe you know that HIV is a a virus that attacks the the human immune system. It's a a virus that attacks the cells in our bodies that fight off sickness and infection. And so what she did was she compared the results from these faith surveys to the results from these patients' blood studies. How many many, uh, immune cells do they have in their bodies? How long are those blood cells able to remain healthy? And what she discovered in, in this study was beyond remarkable. She asked patients, do you think of God in a a negative way or in a positive way? And what she discovered was that patients who tend to think of God in a positive way were able to keep their body's immune cells for twice as long as patients who thought of God in a negative way. And she asked them, do you you believe that God is loving or do you believe that God is cruel and punishing? And she discovered that patients who think of God as loving were able to keep their immune cells for three times as long as patients who think of God as cruel and punishing. And then she asked them, when you got your diagnosis, would you say you embraced God or that you turned away from God? And she discovered that patients who said they turned towards God, patients who said they embraced God when they got their diagnosis had four and a half times as many immune cells in their bodies as patients who said that they walked away from God, that they turned their backs on God, that they became angry with God. This is remarkable data. What Gail Ironson discovered is that in a moment of sickness, in a moment when our bodies are broken, if we turn to God, if we believe that God is loving, if we think of God in a positive way, our immune system gets a powerful boost. We produce five times as many disease-fighting cells. We are able to keep those cells for two or even three times as long as other people. In other words, science now finally has got to the point where they're recognizing what followers of Jesus have suspected for 2,000 years. Now faith really can make us well. Now at the end of all this, i got to give some disclaimers, right? You knew there were disclaimers coming this morning. Court Street Church, please, don't let me hear that any of you made an appointment and went into your doctor's office on Monday morning and told your doctor, my pastor says I don't need to take my medications anymore. I can just pray and everything's going to be okay. That's not what I'm saying. All the data I just gave you applies to patients who were seeking professional medical help. I'm looking at the doctors among us. Am I doing okay? Was Was that all right? And please, please, especially don't let me hear that any of you left church today and started talking 
talking to your friends who are experiencing illness, who are experiencing brokenness in their bodies, and said to them, if you just get right with Jesus, if you just believe hard enough, then all of this suffering and pain will go away. That's not what science tells us. That's not what our faith teaches. That's not what common sense and human experience tells us. That's not what we're saying today. We are not saying that if you just pray hard enough, if you just believe hard enough, then all of the sickness will leave your body. That's not what we're saying today. What we are saying today is this. What the science tells us, what our faith tells us is this. In moments of sickness, when you experience brokenness in your body, there are two things you can do to guarantee yourself the very best chance of healing and wellness. The first thing is to make an appointment to see your doctor. And when you're sitting in your doctor's waiting room, when you're sitting there on the edge of the seat, digging your fingernails into the upholstery, the other thing you can do to give yourself the very best chance of healing and wellness is to take a deep breath, let go of the arm of the chair, sit back into that chair, relax into that chair, and believe. Believe that God is love. Believe that God is with you. Believe that God is on your side. Believe that even as you are reaching out to Jesus, Jesus is reaching out to you. Let's pray. God, we pray for all of those people whom we love who are experiencing brokenness in the body and brokenness in the soul. God, we pray for healing where there can be healing. God, we pray for wellness where there can be wellness. God, we pray that those who are struggling with sickness would experience Jesus with them in the doctor's office, with them in the waiting room, with them in the ambulance, with them in every broken moment, that they would come to know him as the physician and healer of our souls. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.